Keystone Church, good morning. Thanks for worshiping with us online, and uh, thank you for your prayers for the elders uh, and for participating in our reopening survey that we would have sent out over uh, the last two weeks. Uh, I've got some important news to share. Keystone elders met on Thursday night, and we have put together a plan uh, that we believe will create both meaningful and responsible worship services, uh, whether you are going to join us in person uh, or online. So beginning July 12th, uh, that Sunday, we will return uh, to what we'll call a partial reopening. Uh, we'll still have our two services. Uh, we'll still gather for preaching, uh, for singing, um, for gathering together in respectful ways. Um, and we will be able to live stream services uh, so that whether you are worshiping with us in this building or worshiping with us online, uh, we will all be part of one family uh, worshiping God together. And so thank you again for praying. We'll be communicating more details about what those services will look like beginning uh, July 12th, uh, as well as what we anticipate our full reopening with Kidsmen, with ABFs, with things going back to what we would call normal, uh, probably around August 30th. So be looking for more information from elders um, coming up this week. But one of the truths of our time apart is that the, the church has never actually been closed. We are saying reopening, but uh, the church is the, the people, and where the people of God are ministering to one another, uh, we would say that's part of Keystone Church. And so I've invited uh, Ruth Rainier, um, one of the people uh, on our Compassion Ministries team, uh, to let us know what are some of the ways that Keystone Church has continued to minister uh, through the Compassion Ministry. Well, let me say good morning, Keystone. I miss you. <laughs> Virtual hugs to everybody. I'm so excited to hear we'll be back together soon. I am part of the Compassion Ministry, and we care deeply for the body of Christ, and we care for Keystone. I think uh, Brandon said my name is Ruth. Uh, that should help put a face to a name and a voice that you may have heard on the phone. Recently, the Compassion Committee has divided the attendees, and we have tried to call all of you. We have reached out to see how you're doing in this crisis, to see what your needs might be, if you're working, and to pray with you. We are here for you as a Compassion Committee. If you have a financial need, or a spiritual need, or some way that we can help you, our Compassion Fund is healthy. Please, uh, many of you now have our contact information. You can reach us personally, or you can call the church. If you have some need of any kind, we are here for you. We can mow your lawn. We can help fix your roof. We can deliver groceries or take you to the doctor. Um, we're the avenue where you would have the first contact. Also, my ministry is sympathy and grief. That's what I do. So if you've lost a loved one, you would get a card from me. You would get a planter if it's a spouse or a parent within the first month. This is the lovely planters that we bring. And then that first year, we come alongside you as a compassion committee and we pray for you. And then on that anniversary, we send another card. So there are all kinds of ways as a compassion committee that we are here to help you at Keystone. And I would guess that, I mean, the Compassion Ministry is not terribly large. You, you have a, a team, right. but you probably rely on 
other people. And so my second follow-up question would be, how can we as a church partner with you in the ministries that you described, mowing lawns, putting on roofs, um, caring for people who are grieving? If you feel like that is your gift, um, we also have done meals for many of the new babies that we've had. If you've had surgery or um, you've had an injury or a need, we've done a lot of meals. Um, if that's a gifting for you, you can go on to Keystone's website and you can sign up or you can contact us directly. I have had help with deliveries. We've done sunshine baskets. We've done card showers. There are lots of ways, even in this shutdown, that behind the scenes you mm. can help. That's great. Um, if you would like to support the Compassion Ministry and their efforts um, by giving, you can give directly to that ministry by going to keystonechurch.org give. And then when you give online, there's a, a section for you to select which fund that you'd like to give to. And Compassion Ministries is one of them. If you're looking either for help or uh, to help, you can go to keystonechurch.org slash compassion and there fill out a survey that would give uh, our Compassion Ministries a heads up of how yeah. you can either have help uh, or get help. As we begin our worship service, I want to pray for us and pray for the Compassion Ministry uh, that God would continue to move in powerful ways to reveal himself um, in and through the church. So would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we gather this morning um, wanting to lift your name high. We want to say, let your name be holy here at Keystone and in our community. And we praise you for how you have provided for the church, that we might be blessed and that we might be a blessing to others. I pray, Lord, that you would equip the hands of the Compassion Ministry um, to recognize both the physical, the emotional, the spiritual pains that exist. And we're grateful that one of the ways, Lord, that you care for us in suffering is through the hands and feet of the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would also um, provide the Compassion Ministries with lots of hands, um, lots of feet, um, lots of mouths to be able to speak words of encouragement, um, that we might partner together as a body to care for its members well. Lord, as we go into worship here, I pray that you would um, open our, uh, the eyes of our heart to be able to rethink um, how we perceive suffering in this world, uh, that you would remind us of truths of your faithfulness, uh, that you would dig the deep well, that you might enlighten our mind to consider our perspective on it so that at the end of the day, we might be able to say, Lord, you are faithful and good even in the midst of suffering. Lord, lead us as we worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't have your communion elements together, now would be a great time for you to go get them. I was thinking about the Apostle Peter's greatest sermon ever. You know, he had a habit of sticking his foot in his mouth so many times when he was with Jesus, and yet after the Savior went back to heaven, he preached a sermon so powerful, so full of the Holy Spirit that 3,000 people got saved. And in it, he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now these people were Jewish people who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they knew the things that we talked about last Sunday. They knew that they were sinners. They knew they were, they were broken. And I wonder what they thought as they heard that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can someone else save me? 
Well, God had been preparing them for that for 1,500 years. The entire sacrificial system was intended to make them understand that they could not save themselves, that they were broken people who didn't have the capabilities to save themselves. And so when they would bring a burnt offering to the tabernacle, to the temple, this is what God told them. Leviticus 1, 4, lay your hand on that animal's head, so whether it's a bull or a goat or sheep, put your hand on its head, and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. And so every time a, a Jewish man would take an offering like this to the temple, he would be reminded something else is dying for you. Something else is taking your place. And as a result, you're being made right with God. And so all of those animals were pointing to the day when Jesus would come on the scene and he would be the ultimate, the final lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so today as we partake of these elements, may you be encouraged that just as those Jewish people put the hand on the animal, so today we put our hands on the Lord Jesus Christ, his body and his blood, and we remember what he did to take away the sins of the world so that all who call on his name can be saved. So if you have your bread ready, uh, Father, we give you thanks for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who was given up for us all, and we eat in remembrance of him. So that night that Jesus introduced the Lord's table, the communion celebration that we're doing this morning, Jesus and his men were actually celebrating an old covenant feast, Passover. And it was from that table setting that Jesus picked up a cup of wine and he held it up and he said to his disciples, this is, this is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, God was making a new agreement with people it would not be built on an animal's blood, but on the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, drink this in remembrance of me. And so, Father, this morning we give you thanks for the blood of Lord Jesus Christ as represented by this juice, the lamb of God who shed his blood so that my sins could be taken away and not revisited again and again each year, not having to require another animal, but taking away my sins once and for all. We drink in remembrance of him. Well, good morning. It's good to get together with you uh, virtually uh, again this morning. So grateful for the technology we have, but I can't wait until we get back together in person. Um, we have been weighing uh, the, the competing interests of health and uh, as we've been not meeting these months, but also thinking about the call that God has on our lives to meet together. And there's a reason for that. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says to get, get together so you can encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, uh, the day uh, of the end of this world. And so we're looking forward to that date. As Pastor Brandon said, uh, that's coming up uh, soon and we can't, uh, can't wait for that to come here. You know, I 
planned the rough outline of this sermon series um, well before I even knew the word COVID. And it's interesting that we've been experiencing uh, new kinds of suffering these last three months and um, things that we would have never thought we would have to experience. And yet here we are. And obviously there are even more difficult things that we have in our lives or have had in our lives. And as we said in our um, the apologetic series that I preached earlier in the year, this is probably the number one objection that people have to Christianity. You Christians say you believe that there's a God who, who is all-powerful and he, is, he loves people, and yet there's all this suffering. There are broken homes, there are children who are abused, there's poverty, there's war, there's disease. How can you reconcile the existence of that for surely if this God who's all-powerful and loves people and loves his creation uh, sees all the suffering, he would make it go away. And we even said this is not just a problem for unbelievers, it's a problem for Christians. In fact, we've seen a number of key Christians, notable Christians in the last year, deconvert and say, I'm no longer a Christian. And we just had this happen again a couple weeks ago with the uh, lead singer John Steingart of the Christian band Hulk Nelson. Same issue. He says, if God truly is all-loving, all-powerful, why is there suffering? It's a man who grew up in the church, uh, son of a pastor, and he's struggling with this suffering question again. We actually talked about the why um, question last week. Why is there suffering? We really dove into Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, laid out the foundation that there's a curse, man rebelled, God has implemented a curse on all creation uh, so that all that he made, not just human beings, we groan, as Paul says in Romans 8, we groan. And it's a groaning of, of both complaint and um, reflecting the, the sorrow that's uh, the result of the curse, but also a groan of anticipation, looking forward to when Eden gets restored and Jesus returns Today, we want to talk not about the why question, but about the how question. So how do we as Christians suffer uh, Christianly? Now, there would be ways that we would right off the bat say, okay, this is not a Christian way to suffer. So some people get angry when they suffer. Other people become bitter. I watched my grandfather uh, live the last four years of his life in such bitterness. My grandmother had passed away and she had cancer, and, and he said, I prayed for God to heal her. And he said, God says, ask, seek, and knock. And he said, I asked, and I sought, and I knocked, and she still died. And so he lived a bitter man, really, until he died. So we, we know that's not a Christian approach, but I wanna look at three possible answers to that question, how to, how to um, suffer Christianly today. Uh, first, do we embrace it? In other words, we kind of pursue suffering. Or do we endure it? Um, uh, we don't pursue suffering, but we don't seek any relief, relief from it. Or do we try to escape? And that is to try to find relief from it. So let's ask God for his help, and then we'll dive in and uh, wrestle with those questions. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that we have, both when we suffer and when life seems to just be going our way uh, because he is the one who is and who was and who is to come the almighty he is the one who made us uh, with you with the dawn of creation 
Uh, he is the one who came to deliver us and to save us. And he is the one who will one day come back and give us the full inheritance um, that you have promised us because of our relationship uh, with him. And we give you thanks for our Savior. Yeah, we acknowledge that we live in a world that is damaged. Uh, it's damaged because Adam and Eve chose to rebel against you and you brought a curse upon this world. And it just doesn't work the way we want it to or even the way you want it to all the time. And you have some sovereign, intentional purposes in all of that. And my prayer would be for um, all of us. There are people watching today who have uh, health problems, uh, some really dire, perhaps even terminal. There are other people who are watching today whose marriages are um, rocky or even on the rocks. They're not sure they're going to make it. There are others who crave things. As they grew up as children, there are things that they crave that they haven't experienced or haven't um, been able to enjoy. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's having a child. Uh, maybe it's being able to make ends meet financially week in and week out. They just haven't seen their hopes and dreams realized. We've been um, reeling in the wake these, these last weeks in the wake of a uh, uh, the death of uh, a man beneath a police officer's knee. And uh, that has spurred a lot of outcry about racism that still can exist in our nation. And we know human hearts broken, so we still do have things like that, that where there's work needs to be done. We pray that you would bring to bear upon each of us your grace and your mercy so that we can find our ultimate hope not just in this life, not in things getting better tomorrow, even though we work for them, but ultimately in the restoration of all things when Jesus comes back and uh, brings um, the fullness of the kingdom that he brought in part so many years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. So first question, should a Christian embrace suffering? Should a Christian embrace suffering? What I mean is actually pursuing suffering. Now that might sound like a really weird thing to say. Uh, quite a few years ago, I had a woman tell me one day uh, she would like to get cancer. Now one of the things that you have to do as a counselor is learn to keep your emotions and reactions in check. And by the time I gathered myself up, I said, well, tell me why that is. This was a woman who had um, struggled as a child, didn't really get the things from her parents that uh, a child should have. And so she, was, um, uh, she desired the uh, approval and attention of people. And she said, well, I, she had, in a roundabout way, she told me she'd seen as people are really sick with something like cancer, how much attention they get, people show interest in them. Uh, they come alongside them, they help them, and she craved that so much that she was willing to, I think, not even think about the pain that could come with cancer, the, uh, the effects of uh, medication and treatment, the side effects of that, or even death. She wanted this so much. And you might think that's very dysfunctional and, um, and doesn't sound like a normal response, and yet there is this there is a, was a similar um, interest in, in the Christian church, the history of the Christian church back in the second and third century. 
there was a martyrdom cult where people actually sought martyrdom because um, it gave them some attention. People who were martyrs would have their own feast days and, and the church would remember them each year on the, the anniversary of their death and, and uh, remember them and talk about them and, and thank God for their sacrifice. I mean, this became such a um, popular thing that in the third century, there were a, a group of thousands of Christians in the city of Carthage who went to the Roman governor of their city and asked to be executed. They said, we want to we wanna be martyrs for Jesus. We're Christians, so go ahead and kill us. He refused. But it's not the only story like that that we have of individuals who were, um, well, they, the authorities were going to let them go, and they didn't want to be left go. They wanted to be executed for Christ. And in a, in a strange way, is simply the spiritual counterpart of this woman who wanted to get cancer. They, there's a sense that I become part of the spiritual elite if I'm seen as the suffering person and go to the ultimate extreme. And I've wondered already, if I, as I read that account, uh, if, if they heard Paul's words, even if I give my body up to be burned in the flames and I have not love, um, then my, my martyrdom is, is meaningless. In other words, there are things that are more significant uh, for us to live, think, and do as Christians than, than to die or pursue suffering. And this, this resurfaced in the medieval era. The monks and the priests would deprive themselves, fast for long periods of time, pray for long periods of time, and it's almost as if the times of deprivation is what they were after, as opposed to Jesus himself. And so really, there's nothing in Scripture that would tell us we as Christians should pursue suffering. Now, if we pursue Jesus and pursue the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world, we're, we're going to attract suffering. Um, if we do that which is right, we're going to attract suffering. Sometimes God's going to ask us, as he did the rich young ruler, to give up all his wealth. And that's going to bring some suffering. But it, the wealth, the um, getting rid of the wealth wasn't the objective. Following Jesus was the objective. And for this man, that mean he means that he needed to let that go. So it's not, we don't see anything in Scripture that says, pursue suffering. Everything says, pursue Jesus. And suffering may come as a result of that. So should a Christian embrace suffering, not in the sense of pursuing it, trying to find it. If you're not suffering now, go out and look for some. Second question, should a Christian endure suffering? In other words, don't seek relief. And so as a um, on-the-ground example, it might mean if you, if you get sick, you don't go to the doctor. I'm just going to suffer. Um, if you have uh, financial difficulties, you just can't pay the bills. That means that you don't bother trying to find a job that will pay you better where you could have more resources. You don't seek relief from what you're suffering. But I'm thinking about this again from a Christian vantage point. Um, what, what do you do when you are in the midst of suffering? Just kind of endure it, um, suck it up, and make the best of it? Well, that sounds like that might, be a, that might be the biblical answer. After all, the New Testament is full of references to enduring, uh, endurance, run the race to the end, make it from here to there. And Jesus says, or, or, I'm sorry, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.3, 
endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And we know Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's, that's par for the course. We talked about why that is uh, last week. And so we know that suffering is going to come our way, and we should be tough guys, uh, tough women. We should be able to, to handle it and, and kind of fight our way through it. Spurgeon uh, said, I have learned to kiss the wave of, uh, I'm sorry, that I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So imagine yourself out in the surf and a big wave comes in and there's a rocky jetty next to you and it hurls you into, the, into one of those rocks and it knocks you out or even kills you. And Spurgeon was using uh, uh, Jesus as the, the rock of ages here, meaning suffering comes my way, the wave comes my way, but it is designed to hurl me not into despair, not into great sorrow, not into complaint, not into fear, but into Jesus. And again, he's saying that suffering has this value for us because it points us towards the one who matters more than anyone in our life, who should be uh, the greatest good in our life, the summum bonum. And, and, and you can see in that that there is, a, there is a sense in which he sees suffering as a good thing, as a valuable thing, and he's going to endure it. And Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all times, um, Spurgeon knew a lot about suffering. He had very painful gout. Some think that contributed to his uh, ongoing bouts with depression. Uh, he would have weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time, where he could barely get out of bed. Uh, just depression would overwhelm him. And he understood experientially that suffering can drive you to Jesus. But there's a danger in that idea that almost sees that we, um, maybe you didn't, didn't even think about getting out of the water so that the wave wouldn't knock you over. Uh, maybe you didn't think about um, standing away from the rock so that you don't get driven into it. In other words, there doesn't seem a picture, to be a picture, at least in that statement, that the Christian should or would think about trying to find relief from the suffering that comes. Now, it is true that Christians are called to endure suffering. I'm going to touch on that more next week. But I want to say that that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. And that moves us to our next point, which is the question, should a Christian try to escape suffering? Should a Christian seek relief when he or she is suffering? The Apostle Paul did uh, actually a fair amount of teaching about what a slave should be like in his servitude. And so he would say, you should obey your master, and that's doubly true if he's a Christian master. Uh, he said you should work hard even when your master isn't looking. And he also said, if you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, take it. 1 Corinthians 7.21, he's talking uh, about married couples who are married to unbelieving spouses. And he says, you know, you should stick with them as long as they're willing to stick with you. You know, God's placed you in that marriage. Don't run out of it. But he talks about this idea that a slave should take advantage of the opportunity, if they have it, to escape their slavery, to be set free. And 
we as a follower of Jesus Christ can seek, ask God for relief precisely because we are related to the Father who both ordains our suffering and sometimes relieves us of our suffering because we are related to Jesus Christ. When Jesus was early in his ministry, he had become widely known uh, around the area very quickly by virtue of the miracles that he did, the healings, uh, the demons that he cast out. <coughs> Excuse me, and he went back to his hometown. Now, the way things worked in those days, if you were a rabbi, if you were a prophet, you were invited uh, to speak to the congregation. And of course, Jesus, he's a hometown boy, he's well known, he's invited to speak to the synagogue. And there would have been people sitting there that he would have played with as a, as a child. There would have been people sitting uh, there that he would have played in their homes. And they watched him play with their son. And he pulled out the scroll of Isaiah and he opened it up to what's chapter 61 for us, verses 1 and 2, and he, he said, there is a, there's a time coming when the kingdom of God's going to break in. And good news is going to be brought to the poor and the um, imprisoned are going to be let out and the oppressed are going to be set free from their bondage. And this will be the time of the Lord's favor. Close the scroll back up. It's silent for a few minutes. And then he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. What do you mean? I've been sent here by God. I'm the emissary from God. I'm bringing not only his message, but I'm actually bringing his kingdom onto planet Earth. This is the inbreaking in the kingdom. Things are going to start to change. And they did. Jesus went around healing people of leprosy and blindness, the inability to speak, the inability to hear. He'd cast out demons from people. He'd make these vast meals out of a little boy's lunch. He would do incredible things. And it was pointing to the new kingdom, God, that is breaking in, and Jesus is the one who is the breaker, bringing it to pass. Now, by placing our trust in Christ, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you put faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins. That has made you a child of the king of the kingdom. In other words, you have a, a relationship with God the Father, your maker, now through Jesus Christ. And you have something that people who are not followers of Jesus don't have. You have this relationship with God as a father, not just as a maker. As a one who loves you deeply, not just as one who made you. And by that token, we can come to our father. Jesus said, look, you human fathers, if your kids ask you for an egg, you're not going to give them a snake. And we have the privilege and the invitation to come to God and ask him for what we need. Ask him for what we want. There was a man sitting alongside the road just outside of Jericho. And he was sitting there because he didn't have any, any other place to be. He didn't have a job. He couldn't work in an office. He couldn't work uh, in a factory. He couldn't work in a construction site because he couldn't see. And so he'd sit by the road and beg. 
He'd heard about this man named Jesus and all the amazing things that he had done. And he could tell by the sounds of the growing noise of the crowd that Jesus was on his way past him. And so he begins to shout and make a scene. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he lived in a culture, in a setting, in a time in which those who had deficiencies, disabilities, were not valued. The conviction was that they had a disability because God's favor was not on them. You can read about that in John 9 where people assume because the, uh, that man was blind that he must have sinned, his parents must have sinned, and this is God's punishment. And so the people tried to keep this man quiet. Shh! We don't want Jesus to know about our riffraff. We don't want him to know about the, the black marks that we have on our town. That didn't deter Bartimaeus at all. This blind man kept shouting, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have, have mercy on me. And Jesus said to someone, bring him here. And the man came over and perhaps his, the pupils of his eyes were clouded as sometimes happens with an eye disease. Maybe they were clear, but Jesus could tell the man couldn't see. If you can't see at all, you don't know right where to look on the face. And so there's, there's a giveaway, there's a tell there that the person is blind. Despite knowing that, Jesus asked him, what do you want? And the man said, I, I want you to help me provide what I need so that I can suffer in joy. And that's not what he said. The most urgent thing for him, the greatest need in his life, the one that would be most transformative, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus healed him, and he could see. We are part of the new kingdom that, God, that Jesus brought to pass. Now, my guess is some of you are thinking, ooh, wait a minute, Keith, where are you going with this? Are we going to start having healing services at Keystone? Are we going to have start having the kinds of... Um, troubles that a lot of human experience and we're going to tell come to the Lord and say fix this are we moving into the prosperity theology world no but I'll say a however behind that here's the thing if you are uh, like if you're from Keystone this would probably be true of you and there may, may be others of you who are from what I would call a mainstream evangelical background. And we would look at those in the prosperity theology, uh, gospel movement and the word of faith movement uh, where they believe that God guarantees health. So if you're sick, that's not God's intention and God intends to heal you if you have enough faith or if your life is pristine, sinless enough then God will do it. Or if you can't pay the bills, that 
God wants to make sure that you have plenty of money, not just enough to pay the bills, but plenty of money. And those of us who are not in that, uh, under those convictions, would say, no, that's not true. But here's the thing. We would have in common with those folks the, this belief that God can do all of that. That God can supply our financial needs. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 that if we are generous givers, God turns around and uh, replenishes our supply so we can give even more. And we believe, we would say we believe that God also heals people physically. We just don't know that he will everyone. But we would all say he has the power to. That he can do that. But I wonder if we live like he might. We would say, no, we don't believe he guarantees it and that he therefore will. But I wonder if we even believe or act like he might. Or do we simply kind of fold up our tent, go home, say, this is what I have. This is the suffering in my life. I, it's not going to get any better. I'm just going to make peace with enduring it. The difference between our understanding of what the Bible teaches and our friends in the prosperity gospel side is that they believe that God will. We believe that God can. Where we ought to perhaps get to in the middle is that God might. God might. And I think this is where we might be missing it. See, these folks believe that God, that God has brought, or that Jesus has brought God's kingdom in its fullness. We believe that God, uh, Jesus brought God's kingdom in part. Uh, theologians use the phrase, the kingdom is here now, but not yet. In other words, it has begun, it is breaking in, but it's not here in its fullness. And therefore, we're not going to see everything restored from our bodies to our bank accounts, um, to our relationships. But one day that's going to change. Now, let me give you a couple application points to wrap up. And this is really the, the nuts and bolts of what I want to say this morning. Pray about all that you suffer. Not just the small things that you think God might deliver on, but even the big things. Isn't it true that Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, pray about everything? There's nothing that's off that list. You have leukemia, pray about everything. You lost your job in the COVID lockdown. Maybe your company went out of business. Pray about everything. Um, your wife left you and she filed for divorce. Pray about everything. God can put that back together no matter how far down the road it's gone. Your daughter hasn't spoken to you in 16 years. Pray about everything. Have you given up? Pray about everything. I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a card table somewhere in heaven with our name on Keith Rohr. And on that card table are a stack of blessings 
that I missed because I never asked God for them. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Pray about all that you suffer. And the second application point, it kind of follows up on that. And don't give up too quickly. Don't give up too quickly. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus told a story to the people uh, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. They should always pray and never give up. I want to turn to a story in 2 Kings that I just find uh, irresistible. 2 Kings chapter 13. Beginning of verse 14, this is Elisha, the prophet Elisha. It's at the very end of his life. And the king of Samaria comes to him. Verse 14, when Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Obviously not in a COVID environment there. And then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot. So the king shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Aramans at Aphek. And then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. And so the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. Now, let me just say here that I think there's some dialogue that took place that we don't know about that wasn't included in the text. Because there doesn't seem to be any reason why Elisha would be upset with him. We're going to hear why he was upset. But there doesn't seem to be any reason why the king would know what Elisha's expectation was of him. So I think there was something else that Elisha said to him. Elisha was angry, uh, the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. And then you would have beaten Aram until it was completely destroyed or entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. And I wonder if we don't give up too quick. We pray a week, we pray two weeks, we pray a month, we pray three months, we pray a year or two. And then we decide, no, this is, God's not going to do this. This is not God's will. I, um, I have been having some health problems, as many of you know, the last um, year, year and a half. And my wife has been so faithful to pray for me. And um, I prayed early on, and it kind of petered out. And part of the, my curse is that I, most of you know this, I believe so deeply in the sovereignty of God that unless I'm in agony that I can't bear, whether it's physical suffering or some other kind, I don't often pray about being relieved of that. That's different from my wife. And she's a wonderful intercessor for me. And uh, it's interesting. So 
the last, I would say, the last two or three weeks, she has been praying for me, with me, more often than she had for, for quite a while. So these last several weeks uh, um, after dinner and we're praying, uh, she'll pray about my health, and she'll, she'll go to the wall. God, uh, deliver him from the pain in his hip, the pain in his back, uh, the pain in his fingers from the arthritis. And um, I, when I pray about it, I'm like, I, I don't want to ask too much of God, so I just ask him for one thing. But she's just going after it all. And on Tuesday, I had worked in my shop more than I had for quite some time, and I knew I was going to pay for that. Because usually I can't do, I can't work much, you know, more than an hour or so uh, until I have to rest. And if I, if I push through anyway, the next couple of days are miserable. Well, lo and behold, I got up Wednesday and I felt really good. Not just didn't feel as miserable as I thought I would, but I felt really good. And Thursday was the same, and Friday was the same and the nights were pretty good and that's usually the worst time and and my point is I don't know if God is healing me or if he healed me for a few days or he simply improved me for a few days but the, the point is I gave up more quickly than Betty did and don't give up too quickly because just as suffering is a curriculum in making us more and more like Jesus Christ, so prayer is. In other words, it might not just be the suffering itself that's all the curriculum, part of us crying out to the Lord. And this is really a reflection of Spurgeon's desire that suffering would drive us to the rock of ages, not just to endure, but to find help in our time of need. Pray about all that you suffer, don't give up too quickly, and last point, but find solace in Jesus, even if he has other plans for you. Find solace in Jesus, even if he doesn't heal you, even if he has other plans for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12, favorite passage of mine, and you know that because it surfaces in numerous sermons, so much in it. And if you know the story, Paul was given a guided tour of heaven, unlike apparently anyone else had ever had. Amazing. In fact, Paul describes it as it, these are things that he got to see that not only do not uh, other people don't get to see, but they, he's not even supposed to talk about. It. And so he says in verse 5, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast about uh, only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast... I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anybody to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Now, most of us don't have the luxury of knowing what's behind the things that we suffer. Apparently God revealed this to Paul. Verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses. weakness. 
And so I, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now again, I don't know about you, but God typically doesn't reveal to me why I suffer, nor does he reveal to me the kind of thing that he did to Paul and say, look, I, you're, you're, going to, you're going to find out just how big my grace is and how well I can carry you through difficulties with it. Doesn't fill those blanks in for us. It's not like a sermon notes that have a blank and you fill it in. God says, this is what, this is, here's what the answer is. We don't often know those kinds of things. And so we don't know. Paul was informed three times after three prayers, you're not going to be healed. We don't know what he was suffering. Probably some physical ailment because of the metaphor thorn in the flesh. But three times Paul asked for deliverance. Three times he was told no. And then he found out this is because God's going to make an example of him and show a showcase of him, of how weakness uh, endures with the power of God's grace. The challenge for us is to not know all those things and to even continue to seek relief. Because brother or sister, you don't know. You prayed a hundred times for relief from some kind of suffering. It might have been the hundred and first or the hundred and second time where God's going to deliver because the praying itself, along with the suffering, is part of the curriculum. He's deepening your trust. He's deepening your, your how far you're going to go with God. How, um, how great is your faith? Not over here like our prosperity friends who say God's going to heal, but God might heal. And so I keep calling out to him for relief. Now the fact of the matter is, as Paul shows us, there are plenty of times when we're going to continue to suffer and God's plan is not for relief. The kingdom is breaking in, but it's not yet. It's now, but not yet. And so next Sunday, we're going to talk about when we suffer in a way that God intends um, so that he can, using the suffering to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. The title of that message will be The Rasp, uh, the tool in the craftsman's hand. Let's pray together. Father, I want to confess that my faith is not as strong as it ought to be. And even, I would say even worse, is my resolve to call out to you, that's not what it should be. It's almost like I want to take a, a shortcut. I want to graduate before having completed the 11th and 12th grades. And so I maybe for me and some others watching this, we want to say, um, increase our faith and increase our resolve to exercise our faith in praying and asking you to give us relief from whatever suffering it is. Uh, we have people watching this who have um, things like MS or cancer, um, diabetes, um, just 
uh, aches and pains that are debilitating. We have pe people watching this whose marriages have absolutely fallen apart or they are on the verge of doing that. We have uh, people watching this um, who don't have a relationship with their parents anymore. We have people watching this who have uh, family members or friends who don't know Christ. And they're being challenged today with, I think, whether or not they're going to go back to their uh, prayer board and call out to you again after perhaps having stopped for a long time or maybe never having prayed about something that they're enduring and suffering. And I pray, Lord, for us as a, the people of God, uh, the followers of Jesus who say we believe big things of you, that we would put our faith into practice that we would develop that side of our of the curriculum in our lives that makes us more invested and more um, determined and more um, uh, dedicated to a longer um, calling out to you for deliverance and for relief in our suffering. And that we might do that on behalf of others as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, Keystone, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I'm going to add a way that you can continue to engage with us uh, after the service. Typically, it's four things. Um, you can, uh, on the tab below, click the button Live Prayer and have someone pray for you in real time right now. Uh, you can go to keystonechurch.org slash compassion uh, to either uh, receive help or offer ways of helping. You can go to keystonechurch.org slash give uh, and give to our general fund, uh, or like I mentioned earlier, you can give to our Compassion Fund um, in particular. The fourth way is to engage with the content that Pastor Keith would have just preached. The questions are so good for us to continue to rethink suffering. Uh, that's what the pastors are doing every week when we shoot a video uh, for a sermon reflection, post that on a Tuesday or Wednesday. The fifth way that you can engage is just be prepared for somebody from either staff or one of our volunteer ministry team leaders to be reaching out to you over the next couple of weeks. As we begin to reopen, we will be looking for the volunteers that we need to make services happen at Keystone. Uh, and some of those positions might actually be new positions, whether it's a cleaning team uh, that will be cleaning service or cleaning the facility between services or an all new live streaming video team uh, where we will need camera operators. We'll need live stream video techs, live stream audio techs uh, in order for us to provide a meaningful and responsible uh, worship service for both people here uh, as well as people online. Uh, we're going to need a lot of extra hands to help out. So keep um, your, uh, I don't know, uh, email eyes peeled uh, for correspondence from us as well as if you'd like to reach out and begin offering to serve, uh, we'd encourage you to send an email to serve at keystonechurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.